0: Well, praise the Lord, everybody. I am Evangelist Janice Nelson, and I want to welcome you to Season 2 of Broken Vessels Mended and Whole. Today is Sabbath Sunday, May 1st, the year of our Lord, 2022. In this Bible Study Podcast, we address various issues that break the spirit of women and then seek to promote women's spiritual wholeness and well-being with lessons learned from the Word of God. Ladies, if we are honest, most of us do not abhor evil. As a matter of fact, we naturally love sin as evidenced in our intrigue by the wrong done by other people, and further by the fact that we do not want to part with the sins we ourselves are committing. But we must learn to hate sin, and we will if we get to know God. If we do not, we will increasingly hate God as seen in the way the masses reacted to Jesus Christ during his time on earth. Some people saw the holiness of Jesus and learned to hate sin and became his disciples. Others saw Jesus, hated him for exposing their sin, and eventually crucified him. But if you love God and are coming to know him, you will hate sin because sin is contrary to the character of God who reigns. When we come back, we are going to rejoice in the Lord's reign. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. Today we are going to rejoice in the Lord's reign. Our scripture reading is taken from Psalms chapter 97, verses 1 through 12, and I will be reading from the New International Version of the Bible if you want to follow along with the scripture reading. Now, reading from the NIV, Book of Psalms, chapter 97, beginning at verse 1, the psalmist writes, The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees And trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all peoples see his glory. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and rejoices, and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, Lord, for you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Let light shine or light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous and praise his holy name. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his word. Amen. Lady Psalms 97 begins by repeating two sentences from Psalms 96. The Lord reigns from Psalms 96 verse 10, and let the earth be glad, from Psalm 96 verse 11. The theme of Psalm 97, just as it was in Psalm 96, is the kingly reign of God. Although both Psalm 96, which we studied last week, and Psalm 97, our text today, both deal with aspects of kingly king of the God's kingship, they have differing emphasis. For example, Psalms 96 delights in what is in store for the world when God returns to reign. But Psalm 97 emphasizes the frightening and awesome side of God's reign. Yet God's reign is still a joyful event, but we should be under no illusions about what it involves. God's reign or God's rule will mean the confounding of all evil and the rule of perfect righteousness. So let's unpack Psalm 97. Psalm 97 is divided into five stanzas. The first stanza is verse 1. The second stanza is verses 2 through 6. The third stanza is verse 7. So like verse 1, verse 7 stands alone. The fourth stanza is verses 8 and 9, and the fifth stanza is verses 10 through 12. The first stanza, verse 1, says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. So right off the top, the psalmist declares, The Lord reigns, and God's reign is attributed to his deity, without which god would not be sovereign sovereignty requires other attributes such as omniscience which is the property of having complete knowledge omnipotence which is the possession of all power free from all forms of bondage all of these make sense when we are talking about the lord's reign because If God were limited in any of these areas, he could not reign, right? Think about it. If God was not aware of all things at all times, he could be taken by surprise. If God was not omnipotent, he would not be in control of the universe or any occurrences in the universe. If God was not free from the yokes of bondage, his actions will be controlled by events, including all unavoidable circumstances. If God was not sovereign, his love for you and for me could be thwarted by circumstances. And if God was not sovereign, his justice could be frustrated by injustice. Author Pink wrote that God's rule is, quote, the foundation of Christian theology, the center of gravity in the system of Christian truth, the sun around which all the lesser orbs are grouped, end quote. The Lord's reign for Christians, our strength and our comfort, or it is our strength and our comfort in the midst of life's challenges. The second stanza, verses two through six, says clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all peoples see his glory. When we read this stanza, we see various manifestations of God from Jewish history, such as the appearance of God to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, found in Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 19, which says on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. When this same phenomena occurred in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5, Isaiah cried, woe to me, I am ruined. When Ezekiel saw the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God, in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 28, he says, when I saw it, I fell face down. And in Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel said, my face turned pale. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, the apostle Paul says, our God is a consuming fire. Then in verse 25, the apostle warns us, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. This means do not take the Lord for granted. When you approach him, do so with joy, but also with reverence and in awe of who he is. Psalms 95 verse 6 says, come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Verse 7 of our text, has been set aside as a stanza unto itself. And it reads, all who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols worship him, all you gods, lowercase g. The point of this stanza is that the Lord, as stated in the previous stanza, is unique in his qualities and in fact the only true God. But verse 7 presents a problem. How can the psalmist call heathen gods who are idols to worship the true God of the universe? The, The psalmist says, worship him, all you gods, lowercase g. Now, that's a tall order. How is it? that the psalmist calls on pagan gods or idol gods to praise the God against whom they rebel. Well, the theologian John Owen suggested three reasons. First, he says the appeal could have been intended to the nations that worshiped and served idols, meaning worship him, all you who serve idols. In other words, turn from false gods to the true God. Secondly, the appeal appeal could have been meant for the magistrates or rulers of the people, Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M, the Hebrew word translated as God's lower G. This is how Jesus translated Elohim when he was accused of blasphemy because he called himself the son of God. John 10, verse 35 through 36 says, if he called them gods, lowercase g, to whom the word of God, capital G, came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the father set aside at his very own and sent him into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I say I am God's son? That's G with a capital G or a capital G, God's with a capital G. The third reason that the psalmist calls on pagan gods or idol gods to praise God against whom they rebel could have been because God's. Lowercase g refers to angels, and this may be the verse referred to in Hebrews chapter one, verse six, which says when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels, God's apostrophe, yes, let all God's angels worship him. The angels do worship God, at least holy angels do, and they praise him without ceasing. So the problem is not with the angels, but rather with people engaged in idol worship, despite the fact that they know, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. Ladies, what are the idols? that you tend to worship. Is it self? Fame? Is it power? Sex? Or money? Stop selling your soul for idols. And why are you serving these lesser gods? Is it because you spend so little time with the one true living God that you know little about him? How foolish are we to have the word of God, our Bible, possess the Holy Spirit who avails himself to help us understand and obey the Bible, but not spend time reading our Bible or drawing near to God, not developing an intimate relationship with him. We are foolish not to do this. In Psalm 119, verse 11, the psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart. I love this verse. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In the fourth stanza, verses eight through nine, the psalmist returns to the theme of Psalm 96, which we studied last week, the righteous judgment of God. He says, Zion hears and rejoices, and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. That's God's lowercase g. Here, Zion and the surrounding villages are rejoicing because God has intervened in history to establish his righteous, kingly rule over all the earth. This could very well refer to the special act of God for the salvation of his people. But Psalm 96 does not tell us enough to confirm this. Nevertheless, Whether the historical reference might be the only complete fulfillment of his vision must be the eventual return of Jesus Christ and his reign in his millennial kingdom at the end of this age. Only then will perfect justice come to the earth. There is no perfect justice Now, because the strong oppress the weak and the unscrupulous cheat the innocent. Criminals and perpetrators of horrible crimes are unpunished and go free. However, when Jesus returns, all of that will change. There will be perfect righteousness the helpless will be defeated, liars confounded, and the guilty judged. And this will be grounds for the righteous to rejoice, as is the case in verse 8 of our text, which says, Zion hears and rejoices, and the villages of Judah are glad because your judgments, because of your judgments, Lord. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 3, there is a threefold rejoicing over the fall of Babylon. The Bible says, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. The great prostitute was Jerusalem. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The final stanza of our text, verses 10 through 12 says, Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. This stanza is meant to encourage those who are living in bad times to hold true to their convictions, knowing that God will remain faithful to them and protect them as they do. They are told two things. First, in verse 10, hate evil. And second, in verse 12, rejoice in the Lord, which is exactly what we saw at the end of the revelation text I just read. Hallelujah. The first thing, hating evil, leads to the second thing, rejoicing. And notice the sequence of events in Psalm 97 verses 10 through 12. When we hate evil, God provides us with first, protection, second, deliverance, third, light on our path through life, and for joy. As such, hatred of evil leads to rejoicing, which is what we are told to do and what we will do if we know and love God. Ladies, if we are honest, most of us do not abhor evil. As a matter of fact, we naturally love sin as evidenced by our intrigue by the wrong done by other people, and further by the fact that we do not want to part with the sins we ourselves commit. But we must learn to hate sin, and we will if we get to know God. If we do not, we will increasingly hate God, as seen in the way the masses rejected Jesus Christ during his time on earth. Some people saw the holiness of Jesus and learned to hate sin and became his disciples. Others saw Jesus, hated him for exposing their sin as sin, and eventually crucified him. But if you love God and are coming to know him, you will hate sin because sin is contrary to the character of the Lord who reigns. So considering our propensity to think better of ourselves than we should, how do we know if we are really coming to hate sin? Well, first, we must recognize that our hatred of sin must be universal, meaning that we must hate all kinds of sin. Second, our hatred of sin must be fixed, meaning there can be no appeasing of sin, but rather an abolishment of sin. Third, our hatred for sin must be more rooted affection than anger because anger can be appeased, but hatred remains and opposes the thing hated. Fourth, we must hate sin wherever it is found, whether it is in ourselves or in others. Five, we must hate the greatest sin in the greatest measure, meaning we hate all sin in just proportion, not being offended by the slight flaws in others while overlooking the much greater offenses in ourselves. And six, we can be reproved for sin and not get angry about it because if we truly Hate sin, we will welcome whatever help we may get and dealing with it to drive it out of our lives. Psalm 96 began by calling all the people of the earth to rejoice in the Lord's reign. It says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. It ends by calling us to lead the way in this worship, saying, Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. We do not praise God joyfully. Who will? And if we do not praise him now, when? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Broken Vessels Mended and Whole. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, and you want to support it, we have several ways in which you can do that. First, via the Tidly app at Broken Vessels Mended and Whole. Second, at GiveLify as G-I-V-E-L-I-F-Y dot com, you may donate to Broken Vessels hyphen Mended and Whole. Or you may mail whatever gifts of love you feel led to give to Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. We are a 501c3 nonprofit religious organization located at P.O. Box 34637, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Join me next week for another episode of Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. And don't forget to check in with me today at 12 noon on Facebook Live at Evangelist Janice. That's J-A-N-I-S Nelson. In the meantime, take good care and may God continue to bless you. Amen.